Okay, I got singing so loud I didn't want to stop. So, man, love worshiping with you guys. I could tell you guys are singing loud because I couldn't hear Josh from the back at all. You guys are singing super loud. I love it. Um, you're right behind me. I still couldn't hear you because we were singing loud. Maybe it's because I was singing loud. I don't know. Um, we're, in, we're in the book of Genesis, as you know. We're kind of walking through the, the stories. And a lot of times we kind of hear the stories from, you know, kid level version. And just want to kind of jump into some of the depth of Noah's Ark tonight and talk a little bit about where God really um, poured out his wrath upon the earth. And but I wanted to start with a quote from an atheist website um, that I went to this week, because if you didn't know it, maybe you don't know it because you're in school and you don't have to debate these things or, or have a lot of these tough questions come up, but the topic of Noah's Ark is one of the most divisive topics inside of Christianity, let alone outside of Christianity. If someone outside of Christianity wants to make fun of our belief system, one of the first places they're going to go is the story of Noah's Ark. So you believe that this floating zoo was God's idea? And so I took one of those kind of um, quotes from God's, from this other people talking about God's word. And so this is a quote, and I gave you the, the link down there if you want to look at their entire argument um, on the different topics. It says, the story centered around a global catechismic and floating wooden zoo has captured the imagination of people for a millennia. The scientific and historical evidence is now clear. There has never been a global flood that has covered the entire earth. Nor do all modern animals or humans descend from the passengers of a single vessel. When discoveries in God's word conflict with the interpretations of God's word, God's word, Christians have three options. So this is what the atheist is saying. You have three options. When you look at the scientific data about Noah's Ark, you have three things. Because obviously the scientific data does not back up the idea of Noah's Ark. Is what this argument is. And they say you have three things that you can choose to do. When you see science apparently contradicting the Bible, number one, you can completely abandon your faith. In our world today, that's a reality. In our world today, they say that where you're sitting right now, they're saying we shouldn't even have youth group because they say youth group is ineffective. They're saying I should not even have a job because I'm not going to do a good job of teaching you about the things of the world. Because when you go off to college, statistics, I can't say that word apparently, I'm hanging out with Rudy too much. Um, Statistics, isn't that the same word you messed up, Rudy, the other day? All right, the stats say um, that 75% of y'all will fall away from the faith when you go to college. Three out of four of you will fall away. That means maybe the first three rows stay to be Christians, the rest of y'all are just going to walk away. And you know what? I call that false. This is my 20th year in youth ministry, and I can tell you that my percentage is much higher than that. Have we had people in youth ministry that fall away from God? Yes, that's true. Right? But you don't have to based upon science. But that's option one is to abandon the faith. Number two, deny the scientific evidence to maintain our interpretations of Scripture. In other words, you have to say, science must be wrong. We're going to hold on the Bible as truth. Or the third one, reconsider our interpretation of Scripture in light of the evidence of God's creation. And this is really Satan's goal number three. They want you to take the Bible, reinterpret it, and put it into the terms that you want that are going to fit your situation. It happens all the time. I read a Facebook post just yesterday of a prominent pastor and his wife who write books, and just from our local area, and they're nationwide known, that take the scripture and they twist it to say what they want it to say about a certain topic, which is not the topic for tonight, so I'm not going to get into it. 
But it's a, it's a problem all around our nation. It's that they twist God's word to hear what their itching ears want to hear. So we're going to take this story of Noah's Ark, and I'm going to present the evidence, and I want you to choose what do you think about these three topics? Because I say there's a fourth topic. I say there's a fourth way to handle it, to understand this. You don't have to be afraid of science when you're a Christian, that you just haven't heard the scientific data that backs up the creation story that God has given us in the book of Genesis. Why have you not heard the scientific data? Why do you not hear a fair and an equal and a balanced presentation of it in schools? Because schools have a religion of evolution. They're anti-creation in schools today. Not your teacher particularly, but textbooks and academia in general. So let's take a look at it real quick. So we're starting in Genesis um, chapter 6, but actually we're going to go back one verse um, just so we can pick up. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem and Ham and Japheth. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now I've got to pause and stop there because the first thing, if you have a pen, I want you to circle the word regretted. Because this is the first question I get to many times when we read the Genesis account is this idea of what does it mean for God to regret something? Some say that God repented there, which I don't think is an accurate um, translation, but the word repent and relent and comfort and compassion is all one base Hebrew word. I'll try to say it. It's nakam. They have a kam in there. They have a sound that always goes in the Hebrew, which I can't really say. I'm going to just clear my throat and add to it. This word, right, regretted here means that he comforted himself. Right? The idea is that God, when he looked at mankind, he consoled himself. He thought inside and he was just compassionate on himself about what man was doing on the earth. Was that the intention of God for man to begin to sin and to do evil all the time? No, he gave us the free will and, he was, and it was unfortunate the things that we choose. And it's unfortunate things that we choose today, many a time. We see the intention of the heart here. So did the Lord regret it? I don't know how you define that word regret, but the the Lord looked at mankind and he had in his heart to comfort himself because of what was going on. And it grieved him. He had grievances in his heart. He felt the weight of what was happening on the earth. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. There's this compassion in him. But, the, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Can you underline that? Noah walked with God. Because we skipped over this guy. If you, if you go back into Genesis chapter 5, you see all of these crazy names that you can't pronounce, right? Uh, Methuselah begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, and all these different names. But, but kind of hidden in that story is this guy named Enoch. And this guy named Enoch was a very incredible guy because it says that he walked with God and he was no more. He went walking with God, and one time God was like, hey, you want to go to my house? And he took him to heaven, and he never tasted death. Now, the Bible says that every man will taste death. So that means that God has a plan 
for Enoch in the end times. And this is a Genesis study, not a Revelation study. So we'll just leave that hanging out there like a carrot, okay? Um, But Enoch walked with God, and we see that Noah walked with God. We see consistently in Scripture that if you walk with God, God blesses you. God is with you. God doesn't forsake you. He never leaves you. He was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through, through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 500 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark inside of it, in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And so we have God giving Noah an account of what is going to happen um, to the people on earth, his wrath that's going to be poured out against them. And then I gave you a timeline because I think what happens many times is that when we read the, the story of Noah, we think of like a kid's nursery because you know that like parents decorate their kid's nursery with Noah's Ark. You know, that time when the, the animals were on the boat and God killed everyone in the world. It was great, right? Um, but you realize the death and destruction that is coming upon the earth. I don't know. How many of y'all watched the movie Noah that came out with like Russell Crowe in it, right? I was really anticipating and really excited about it. I mean, Russell Crowe, like gladiator is Noah. I mean, sweet, right? Like, and of course, in true gladiator fashion, like people are running up to the ark and he's like kicking them off and like, right? And he's like killing people. Like Noah's like the man killing people and all that. But the movie is just terrible, okay? I couldn't even make it through like 30 minutes of it. I never even got to the animals going on or really even, uh, I went and watched some clips to the ark scenes. I was like, oh, I can show it. It'd be so cool. I mean, think how cool Hollywood could make the waters bursting and all this stuff would be so cool. But then here's Noah, like, killing people, wrapping his hand. You know, like, they wrap their arm around the rope, right? Because it doesn't matter if God sends the greatest flood in the history of the world, he can hold on, right? Noah can, like, wow. I, I just couldn't show it because it was just too terrible. But the, the deep just burst forth, and the waters that were above the earth just flooded the earth. It's an incredible Fashion, But what happens to us is we hear the story and we don't realize the details of the story. For example, um, sorry to our directors of our movie earlier. Um, it didn't take 100 years to build the ark. I know it seems that way. Maybe you've heard that before because we have two numbers, right? We have the number 500 years old and then the, we know the floodwaters came when he was 600 years old in a few months. It gives us an exact time that we'll read in a second. But here I gave you a little timeline about kind of what went on and then some of the scripture references out beside of it so that you can look them up, okay? Um, A little bit earlier, God said that man's years were gonna be 120 years, okay? That doesn't mean that no one in the world will ever be older than 120 because otherwise that means God lied because there are people that have been older than that since then. But he said 120 years from now, 
the world is going to be, cease to be the way it is now. And God was going to judge it with the flood, right? It says that Noah was 500 years old when he had children, right? Do you remember that back up here? After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, right? So I gave you, um, they had Jepheth, they had Shem two years later. We don't know exactly when Ham was born, if we just kind of guesstimated a couple years later, three years later, whichever, no would have been, right? Five years older, 505, whatever, right? Now we do know this. Who went on to the ark? Noah and Mrs. Noah. Poor Mrs. Noah. Name never mentioned there. Right? And who else? Three sons and wives, right? So we know that at least they had to be old enough to get married, before the boat things happen, right? And we know that he said that to him before. He said, build an ark and take on the ark your sons and their wives. So I don't know how long it took for the sons to grow up and get married. I don't know if they got married really young or whatever, but we know that it took several years. Um, this timeline that I predicted, let's say they got married at age 20. Maybe it was age 14. They got married much earlier back in those days. I don't know, but all three sons had to be old enough to get married. Then it took probably somewhere between 55 and 75 years for Noah to build the ark because we know he didn't start until his sons and his, his sons were married at that point, Okay. And then we have this loading of the ark and God bringing the animals in the ark. And then we have the flood. Okay. And then let you look at some of that timeline that is right there. Okay. I want to read to you a few more passages because I just couldn't fit all of it on the piece of paper when I was trying to type it up for you. But if you'll turn over, we're going to be in Genesis chapter seven and we'll hit a few more um, kind of highlights of the story. So chapter seven says, then Noah said to the Lord, or then the Lord, I'm sorry, said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all the clean animals. What does he mean by clean animals? Those are the animals for sacrifice, right? Sheep, for example, would be one of the clean animals that were there. The male and its mate and a pair of the animals that are not clean, a male and his mate. And seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the, of the waters, ugh, from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble reading today, um, went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day, um, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and all the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. 
And you can continue to read a little bit about the story um, as they were on the boat and, got, and Noah began to send out birds to kind of test out and see if things, um, if the, the ground had dried up. And the timeline, I gave you the timeline here that it was about 370 days that Noah and his family were on the ark waiting for God to dry up the waters, waiting for him to give them permission to come off the boat. You can check out the timeline there. We know that the first 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. Um, after 150 days, we knew it rose to its highest point where it says it covered the mountaintops and so on and so forth, right? But when you begin to tell people about this idea of a global flood and this idea of God flooding the entire earth, um, people begin to doubt, right? People begin to say things like this. This is the most common um, inside of Christian realm, that it was a local flood, that they flooded the area where Noah was, and then not the rest of the earth. So there's evidence of flooding in that region, so it was only a local flood. Um, why, why would that be not what the Bible said? Well, first reason, why wouldn't God just tell Noah to move? I mean, why build a boat? Why not just move that way, and then flood here, and then move home, right? I mean, that would have been a, been a good, we don't need a boat, just walk that way, about 20 mile, 200 miles, right? Get out of the way of the flood, right? Did, did God say that he was going to cover the whole earth? What do you think? Yes. Do, do you have evidence of that? Like, do you have ideas from God's word of that? Yeah, Genesis. But you know what? There's other places that speak about it as well. In the book of Psalms, it talks about it as well. Look, at, look down at Psalms 104. I put it down there under evidence number one. He set the earth on its foundation that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. And at the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down into place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so they might not ever or may not again cover the earth. Wow. We have to find another clue here that God covered the mountains. Now, wait a second. Are you sure God covered the mountains? Like, is there evidence out there? I want to show you some, a few pictures because I'm going to think it's kind of interesting. One of the things that I thought was really interesting as I began to study, did you realize that there's actually fossil record above sea level? Like, for example, they find um, fossils of different things up on top in Tibet, right? Up in like 25,000 foot range, they found fossils of sea creatures, how did that get there? Interesting. They find fossil. How could you find sea creatures above sea level in different places? Oh, maybe if the water's covered the entire... Let me show you a couple pictures um, I have I picked up kind of on. Um, this one is what they call... Um, well, you can do that one. That's fine. Um, does anyone know what this is a fossil of? A picture of? Huh? Okay, hold on. Rings from what? Aliens? This is, this is, looks like crop circles, but it's not. It's a close-up of a rock, all right? Jellyfish, that's right. PK, yeah, my boy right there, all right? Can you, can you go to the next, the next picture, Louis? All right? These are pictures of fossils of jellyfish, all right? Can you go to the next one? I think there might be one more. If not, all right? Huh? This is not in Tibet. This is in, I think, what they call Genesis Basin. I'm not sure exactly where it is. Um, it's somewhere in North America, though. 
Um, but how do you get fossils of jellyfish? In fact, how do you get fossils of anything? Do you get it by slow decay or do you get it by quick covering of something with mud or rock? In fact, we have some incredible fossils in our world. Um, here's another picture of a fossil of a fish eating a fish that's fossilized. How quick did this fish have to get covered for it to not to spit out its food and go, oh, help, right? It could never even say help. It was just in mid-bite, and it got covered by something and fossilized. How does that happen? And how does it happen a lot of different times? You would think also if there was this huge flood that we would have these huge fossil graveyards, right? And that was a picture that we showed a little earlier. There's huge fossil graveyards of just hundreds of thousands of bones and different things, animals mixed together, not of the same kind in these huge graveyards, um, 20 miles deep in areas that have these huge fossilizations. How would that happen? Oh, well, if there's a lot of water and a lot of death and it all began to pool in certain places, you get fossils swept away into common places. The fossil record shows that there was some sort of catechismic flooding that occurred. And that's the second evidence that I think that you can find, is that if you go through these fossil records, the amount of fossil records were taken by the flood. Um, How many of y'all have ever put dirt in like a bottle and shook it up? Anybody ever done that before? Right, you take dirt, like just a bunch of dirt, and you threw it in there, and you, you swirl it all up, and then if you just let it sit for a while, have you ever noticed that it kind of forms layers based upon the weight of the materials that are in the, the rocks, of course, clunk to the bottom, and then the heavier particles and the lighter particles, and it begins to begin to layer, right? And that's what we, we believe happened with the flood. And so we have these different strata layers that show up. Um, but one thing that's interesting, can you go to that one diagram, Louis, that we have first up here? Um, is that you have these different layers. Well, we'll get to that one in a second, all right? That one's cool. That's the fossilized hat. You get these different layers, right? How many of y'all have been to Grand Canyon? Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? Have you seen the layers, right, of rock kind of as it goes along, right? And so you have these different layers that form based upon the weight of the materials and based upon the way that it all kind of went down. But one of the things that's interesting is that if the world took millions and billions of years to form, you wouldn't have curves. For example, can you look at this next picture of this lady standing by um, how would over millions of years something like this form? Because if it took one layer and then over another million years another layer and something shifted, it would break. It wouldn't bend. You know what bends? Things that are wet. Things that are pliable, right? Things that get laid down in rapid succession and then they begin to look like a swirl. And we see this t- tons of different pictures um, in the Grand Canyon, if you go to them, you see these curves of different things when they're carved out. And instead of layer after layer breaking, like an earthquake, we see these fluid, almost like water flowing through areas at different times. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, and I want to show you another picture. How many of you have heard of Mount St. Helens? Have you heard of Mount St. Helens? All right. Here's a picture of Mount St. Helens before and after. Okay. Um, The top one is Mount St. Helens before the volcano erupted. The second one is what happens after the volcano erupts, okay? Now, do you notice something different about the picture? What what do you notice different about the picture? There's a big hole instead of a mountain, okay? 
There used to be a mountain, now there's a crater there. Okay, what else you notice? Yeah, what happened to the hills and the trees? Something that, like, it just began to destroy the things around it, right? Not only did the mountain collapse, but it began to destroy. Notice how bald the ones look on the bottom, right? If you go to a picture, this is called Spirit Lake, which is a lake that was formed. And do you see all of these things on the water? Those are trees, that the lava, as it, as it came down, destroyed tree after tree after tree. In fact, this lake grew to 1,000 feet wide and 100 feet deep in 15 minutes. That Mount St. Helens, in 1980, in 15 minutes, carved a canyon that evolutionists would say would take millions and millions of years for that river going through it to carve out the rock. And in 15 minutes... The lava flow from this mountain carved out this lake. And you know what's interesting when you, when you study this lake? Um, these trees, when they get extremely waterlogged, they begin to fall um, and they stand vertically. Um, here's a picture underwater of um, one of the trees. Maybe. That's a cute picture there. Um, they begin to fall vertical. And if you look in science classes, you'll find strata that has trees vertical. Trapped in the layers of strata. How over millions of years does this tree just stand and stand and stand for millions of years? It's waiting for the layers to form or did it get buried in a very rapid fashion with the layers around it? You see, there's so much evidence in our world that says, wow, maybe something happened of incredible proportions that formed all of these different things, right? Look at evidence number four. Um, I thought this was interesting when I began to read it. Um, Where did all that water go? If there's a worldwide flood, where's all that water now? That's what the doubters would say. There's no way it's on the earth now because look at all the dry land that we have. But actually, scientifically, if you were to take the, the depths of the sea and rise them up to smooth and take, you know, Mount Everest and, and take it out and fill in the ocean. You made the world smooth. Do you realize that water would cover the earth 12,000 feet? Somewhere between tw- 10 and 12, when you look at mathematicians. If the world was not flat, but if the world was smooth right now. In our oceans today, we have enough water to cover the earth to 12,000 feet of water. You realize just because we can't see under the ocean, there's things deep under the ocean. Just because we don't always understand things doesn't mean that we have to doubt things. And so I want I to point out two lessons to you um, through this um, that I think are going to be important. Because sometimes we go, well, why do you want to know about the flood? Well, first of all, because it's under attack. And you have to be able to answer people's questions. Do you really believe that there's some boat with a bunch of animals on it? Do you really believe that? Yes, I really believe that Noah is just a a fictitious story that, oh, you know what? This has just been a story that people have passed down for years and years and years. Do you realize that almost every people group around the world has a story about a flood? Almost every people group. But you know what they say? Oh, well, the Bible stole it from these other people groups. What we say? Well, they all have the story of the same event. And you know what? All of their stories cover the world completely. 
All of them have some sort of idea of salvation that's in there. But what does that mean to us? Here's two things, right? Um, First of all, can you defend yourself from the scripture? If someone challenged you on Noah's Noah's Ark, would you have something to say? I want to point out a scripture too. This is um, 1 Peter chapter 3. And I forgot my Bible, so I'm going to use my phone. Which has a Bible app on it. I was too busy worshiping. I didn't want to go to the back and get my Bible. They were singing too loud for me. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Don't forget those two lines, right? Be ready to give an answer. I'm going to keep reading. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. In other words, when people say bad things about you, people look like, are you serious? You're talking about that person? There's no way they would do that. Like you have such good behavior that people wouldn't believe the lies that are spoken about you to where the way you live your life is your defense, right? Um, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that be, should be for God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit, and when he, which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, whoa, you mean this passage just talks about Noah? And I won't get into the depths of what's going on here exactly, but while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you as not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So Christ draws us back, or Peter does, to this time of Noah's Ark where Jesus, right, and God judges the people. And it is giving you this picture of here's Noah for 50, 60, 70 years building an ark and the people around him having an opportunity to come to salvation in the ark. And he says that Noah's flood was about baptism, was about salvation of these eight people going from death into a new life. And we have many in this group who are going to get baptized at different times throughout the years and, and inviting you to consider baptism. Not as it says, talks about be, not as salvation as removal from dirt, but as the idea of giving a demonstration of God removing sin from our life. Can you give a defense of the gospel when it comes to Noah's Ark? Here's the second thing. What would you have done if you were Noah? Would you be able to obey God even when you don't understand the promise? I got a question for you. How many of you would obey God even if you didn't agree with what God was asking you to do? You see, that's a real question. 
Do you think Noah was looking around and going, God, I hope you kill all these people. God, I hope you kill all these animals. They're just terrible. We can save a few of them. Do we think Noah was that way? When you hear that Noah was blameless and he was righteous before God, what do you think of? Do you think he was someone who loved other people, who treated other people in the right way? Probably, right? And yet, as he's building this ark, and I'm imagining, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about what Noah did while he was building the ark. It doesn't tell us a lot about um, the people around him. So everything we would talk about is speculation. But what if people were asking him about the ark? What do you think Noah said? God told me to build an ark. God said he's going to judge the world. And yet no one believed him. And I, and I can't imagine what it would have been like to be Noah on the ark, hearing the screams of people dying, hearing the agony in people. Maybe they're climbing the mountains to try to avoid the flood. I don't know what it must have been like to be like someone on the earth at this time, but it must have been horrible. Must have been terrifying. I, I can imagine, this is my imagination, but I imagine Noah on the boat just weeping for the people that he had lived with around him that are now dead because of the judgment of the Lord. And question, do you have any of that with the people that you go to school with, that you work with, that you hang out with? Do you know people that don't know Jesus? I mean, we all do, right? And yet for some reason, we sing songs, Christ has died and he's risen and he'll... Come again, right? We sing that song and we celebrate it, celebrate his death and rising. What is it going to be like on that day if someone doesn't know Jesus that's your friend or in your family and yet you haven't told them about the hope that's within you? Like we have, we have a call. You understand that God's judgment is not going to come in a flood again. And in fact, he gave us the rainbow, right? As a demonstration of that promise that God's not going to come again. And when we see a rainbow today, we should think how incredible is God's promises? How incredible is God that he's not going to judge the world? He's going to be patient with the world. But you know, when we see the rainbow today, we don't think about that. If I were to wear a rainbow shirt right now, Right? People would question my sexuality. They would question my views on homosexuality and, and lesbian and all these different things. Because now, what does the rainbow mean? It talks about LBGT rights and things of that nature. Do you see how Satan has begun to distort the things that are examples of the glory of God? And we've just, we don't have a choice really, but we let them. Instead of celebrating, this is God's promises. That's why he gave that to us. And the world's trying to redefine that for us. But we need to have a sense of urgency to tell the world about Jesus. Do you really believe Noah had a boat? Do you really believe that God judges the world? Do you really believe that Jesus was who he said he is? Why don't we tell people about that? Oh, I don't really know how to tell them. Sorry, that's a cop out. God will help you. God, God will give you the words to say. Our job is to be faithful to tell those around us. Oh, but I don't, I don't want to do that. Okay. I'm going to let that be between you and the Spirit of God. But we should tell others about Jesus. You mean just like go out and tell them? Yes. Just like literally say, hey, you know, man, my youth pastor was like 
Man, he was getting on. You can use me as an excuse. It's all good. Like, man, my pastor's all on me. He's all getting mad at me, saying, I don't tell people about Jesus. So what do you think about Jesus? I just want to get him off my back. What do you think about Jesus? I'm cool with that. You can use me, scapegoat. You can throw me under the bus and back over me a couple times. You know, that's all good. Do whatever it takes for one person to come to know Christ. One person to come and know Jesus. We had two girls accept Christ a few weeks ago, and man, we're still excited about that. Right? If you don't know Christ, man, just tell you right now, you need to get your heart right with him. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the evidence that we have in creation that points to you. That, Lord, we don't have to be scared of looking in, in science textbooks, Lord. We don't have to be scared about having this belief in Noah and the flood and all of these things, Lord. Um, because we trust in you. We know, Lord, that you are the truth. You are the way. You are the life, Lord. And we, we trust in you. So, Lord, when the things of the world begin to try to put evidence against you, Lord, help us just to view that and see that, Lord, for what it is and to look for the evidence that shows your creation story, Lord. What an incredible story it is to know that we didn't just come by random chance just to live and to die. But, Lord, we've been created with a purpose, Lord, that you knew us in our mother's womb and you made us to be the people that we are today. You gave us a personality, Lord. You gave us the looks that we have, Lord, and that we can trust you with that and trust you with our lives. Lord, help us this week as we go out to tell others about Jesus, to make you a part of our conversations, Lord. Because, Lord, the days are shortening. What, Lord, if you came back, Lord, what would we regret? Help us, Lord, to tell the world about you. Help us be confident in who you are and what you've done, Lord. Thank you for the story and the example it is to us. Um, Help us to trust in you more. In your name we pray, amen.